we're talking about the Tuesday night job note. Yeah. When he talked to the Cupertino City Council and unveiled the Apple spaceship. Did he tell the city council they'll all be replaced with an app? <laughs> no, the mayor held up his iPad to tell Steve Jobs how, how much of an impact this device had made on his family's life and how much his kids completely love it. And then one of the other council members asked Steve Jobs, um, what would the people of Cupertino get out of this new building? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Steve Jobs said, well, Jobs? we're the largest taxpayer to the city of Cupertino, and I guess if we get to stay in Cupertino, you get our tax dollars. Right. And she's like, well, we, she literally said, would we get something maybe like free Wi-Fi? <laughs> and you could see Steve Jobs like stop, and it's like, I'm at a city council meeting. <laughs> Instead, he said, you know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm sort of old-fashioned. I think that... <laughs> We pay the taxes, and maybe the city could build the Wi-Fi network. <laughs> Wait, I thought corporations didn't pay taxes. Apple could get out of paying taxes by declaring themselves a religion. And Well, what do you, and, what do you mean declaring themselves? It, it would be, how would you disprove that? How would you disprove that Apple? Apple obviously is a religion. Tonight on Media Loper Bebop, Apple, we discuss their upcoming Lion OS and what happens after they run out of big cats after which to name upgrades. Also, Apple, iOS 5 is coming in September. And finally, Apple, what makes their cloud different from other clouds? And oh, one more thing, Apple, where in the fuck is the next version of the iPhone? All this and our new feature in the mix on Media Loper Bebop Episode 7, Lions and iClouds and Beers. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Jim Connolly, and with me, as always, are Tim Gaskell. I'm over here. And Kirk Biglione. Yes, I made it. Earlier this week, Apple once again reanimated the corpse of Steve Jobs, programmed it, and beamed it directly to the Moscone Center in San Francisco to spearhead quite a few major announcements from the scrappy little underdog cult company that he ran back when he was still alive. The first of these announcements was their new operating system, Lion. At Apple... We believe the way to make a truly great system is design both the hardware and the software and continually innovate them together. It comes out next month. Hey, Tim, out of the three of us, you're the one who's most in the tank for Apple. So are you looking forward to Lion? And if so, why? I am. I like the idea that they're making your desktop look like the the iPad and the iPhone desktop. They're, they're basically finally integrating all three of those into one. And that's kind of cool um, because my... My taskbar at the bottom now is full, so full of things that it's ridiculous. And it'll, I think it'll make you clean up your, your desktop and keep things a bit more organized. I really do. But yeah, it's basically turning your, your laptop into a glorified iPad. Does that degrade the laptop? No, because I still think at the moment your laptop is pretty essential um, as, a, as a multitasking thing for bigger jobs and everything. The iPad to me is like an informational... Um, gateway to everything, whereas my computer is more of a workstation. So I'll say that I do like, as someone who who is not a, an Apple a, a Mac guy, but who has an iPhone, the fact that their the operating systems are merging does make it easier for me to eventually possibly become a complete Mac guy in the future because I understand how to use iOS much better than I 
do the the regular Mac operating system. But are are there going to be purists who are like, no, 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 no. This is this is for people like Jim. Therefore, it's bad. Hmm. I guess it depends on what kind of user you are. Um, the thing is, they're trying to move towards a transparent operating system where guys like Jim don't have to think about making a transition, especially as you move to mobile devices where every interface is going to be different anyway. Uh, uh, if, even if you're going from Windows or whatever system, I mean, obviously the options are Windows or Mac. So for a Windows guy, Windows Mobile is not going to be like Windows. They're trying to make it. They're trying to make it more iPad-like. So it's like whatever mobile system you pick is going to be a, a major change. So they're trying to make it transparent so that you don't think about you know having to learn something new versus maybe on the Windows end, it's still a little more complicated. You do feel like you know it's something you have to learn but on the other end the purists who um, are maybe hardcore Mac guys hardcore longtime guys with beards and suspenders <laughs> um, there's enough going on I think under the hood with it's still basically a, a Unix operating system which makes it the platform, if you're doing any kind of like open source development or software development, yes, you could have a Unix desktop or a Linux desktop. The nice thing about Mac, since OS 10, is it's a full Unix system that's really nice to work on. So, Kirk, of all the features that they announced with Lion, what was something you really, really liked? What I liked was the overriding thing between all of the different things that they announced, which is that everything is kind of merging together in a seamless way. And so I have an iMac and a MacBook Pro and an iPad. And to me, each one of those devices serves a specific role in my life. And I use them throughout the day, moving between or within or traveling around with any combination of those. And um, that whole part of trying to figure out how to access certain kinds of things on certain kinds of platforms suddenly just being one seamless thing where it just kind of works. Right. Uh, wherever I'm at, needing to get to whatever I need to get to, that's very appealing to me. So I can have it on my iMac all the way to my, you know, uh, my iPad when I'm traveling around and maybe I'm in some remote location and I need to do a different kind of work. I've got, it's on my MacBook Pro and then all the way down to my Android phone. It's just one, si oh, wait. Oop. Oop. <laughs> what about you, Tim? What do you, what's something you really like? Um, well, they're also pulling into the, because I guess Microsoft has uh, has Skype now. The, uh, the FaceTime, they seem to be expanding on that. Um, so you can get it on your phone, your iPad, and your and your computer. So if you have an, if, if somebody else is on a on a Mac and on the uh, right version, then you can do your your version of Skype, basically, and it's all free. Whereas, um, you know, it's not as robust as Skype in the sense that you can make um, your international calls and stuff and have a stuff like that. But it is it is what it is. I think what I like is at least is the launch pad. Sometimes it's hard to find apps you don't use very often and the taskbar down at the bottom is is really hard if you're if you're especially with someone like I don't I don't read icons as well as I read icons and words. And so just having something that's icons and words right in front of me will be a lot simpler to look at than trying to figure out what does it what, what does that mean that little symbol mean? 
Anything you don't like, Kirk? Or at least are skeptical about? Um, what's not to like? It's $29 for every computer well, I own. And no discs. And well, and no activation <laughs> and no activation code. Speaking of someone who's had a major operating system deactivated six months after it was activated. Well, the, the one thing, what you like, or what Tim was mentioning, the fact that it's only available via the Mac Store, actually, or via the App Store, since if you're like me and never got around upgrading to Snow Leopard, because we do have two Mac laptops, then you're going to have to do that first. They're kind of forcing you to upgrade to the most recent operating system if you didn't in order to upgrade to this major one, which, okay, well played, Apple. So once they start selling Lion, they're going to stop selling Snow Leopard. Right. There's there's no reason for them to sell Snow Leopard. So if you, <laughs> well, no, really, why would they sell their pre, their, Apple does not sell old versions of its operating system. They're only ever selling one version of their operating system. So when Lion is out, they're only going to be selling Lion. So you're not going to have the option to buy Snow Leopard. So what I'm what I'm saying is because they work that way, they will they will have a plan for people like you, Jim. Or really, the only reason you need Snow Leopard is because you need the App Store. So right. Yeah. So so the, so the way it would work is you would get Lion on like a USB drive or something. If, if, if they do no DVDs at all, which they may do, they're already distributing on, on like the, the, with the MacBook Air, you get the operating system disk on a USB drive because the MacBook Air doesn't have a disk drive. Right. Also coming in September, iOS 5, the latest operating system for Apple's ever-growing galaxy of smart mobile devices. Guys, what are you looking forward to in this? So basically, I'm looking forward to it for my iPad. Uh, and I'm looking forward to getting a new phone, actually, because right now it's three years old, just about three years old. So let's talk about that really fast. Um, yeah. Do we think that, that there's going to be another announcement early September that says, oh, by the way, when we're putting out iOS 5, we're also going to put out some sort of new version of the iPhone? I would hope so. I mean, there's kind of uh, the rumor mill is kind of. I don't. I'm not getting anything kind of solid on this, whether uh, you know, regarding the phone. So I don't know. They have to have something because it's been well over a year at this point, and they're up against Android, where it's not just you know, Android is not just one thing. Everyone, all these device manufacturers are putting out new phones every you know, two or three months or every month even. And if you buy an if you buy the state of the art Android phone today. Three months from now, you've got the three-month-old Android phone that isn't nearly as cool as whatever the state of the art is. Right. Three months from now, the iPhone is pretty much the iPhone it was when it was released June of last year. They need some. They need something. Mm -hmm. um, but it might be minor. It might be like the upgrade from 3G to 3GS. Oh, yeah. I think this is an instance where if you have, if you already have an iPhone. Um, the um, the I iOS five is enough of Im an improvement that um, along with all of these other cloud things that it's going to tap into, yeah. uh, it's essentially like a device upgrade. If you yeah, have a four, it's it's if you have a four, it's it's a substantial enough upgrade that it will be like almost like getting a new device. Anywhere you are, you can just swipe down from the top of the screen, and it'll reveal the notification center. And from within there, you can see all of your missed calls, your text messages. System-wide notifications are one of the big things. Yeah. That, okay. That is maybe the biggest thing because there's nothing I hate more 
than when I'm playing Angry Birds or something and I get a notification. Yeah, having a nice, and you know, all the Android people are pointing out, it's very similar to what Android has had since the beginning. Right. <laughs> so I know, you, I know you iOS people don't understand what system notifications are, but let me tell you, I've had a system notification tray since last August. Wow. So do we think that the, like the integration of Twitter is just a bell, a huge bell and whistle that really doesn't mean anything and actually if, for people who use Twitter hardcore, almost means nothing? It's, it's, a, it's, it's a great deal for Twitter. It's an interesting deal for Apple. And that it's it's sort of Apple. Um, someone commented something, tweeted something to the effect that it sort of like guarantees that Twitter is going to live forever, right? <laughs> or at least as long as Apple needs some kind of social integration uh, with like a mobile device, it saves Apple from having to build it, mm. and it's it's simple enough that to understand and use that it's not going to be like a. Um, uh, it's a low barrier for new users who maybe have heard about Twitter and have an iPhone and you know don't it's it's you, they'll get the new social user in as well as the seasoned people who you know want that integration into everything it also though has an API for uh, platform developers so if you're building an iOS app you're going to be tapping in you're going to be using Twitter as a social layer and you can work with hashtags and geolocation and do some other interesting things so I think it is depending on how it plays out within like the development community and 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 uh, everything else it could be a big deal it may be one of those big deals we don't recognize now that down the road is like remember when they added Twitter wow that we never thought it would be this big um, one other thing iMessage, I think this will be this will be great. Basically, you can text from your iPad. Are you talking about you're, you're talking about the Messenger server? The, the, mes the iMessage, yeah. The, the iMessage, which is a, a like a clone of BlackBerry Messenger, right? For for iOS, right? And that's one of the things that keeps people on the BlackBerry platform. That's very interesting, and that um, now. It's something to kind of pry BlackBerry users away from their platform. Come over and try an iPhone. You'll have access to the same kind of messaging service. Mm -hmm. It seems like reminders might be at the same group where oh, business reminders is, if it works anything at all, like it was demoed, is awesome. With with you know not only very simple reminders like calendar or time, but yeah. geolocation based reminders. Right. When I get to a certain point, remind me to do this. What is iTunes Match? Well, iTunes Match uses the fact that we've got 18 million songs now in the iTunes Music Store. And the chances are awfully good that we've got the songs in our store that you've ripped. Are you guys going to do that? Well, it's only $25 a year. Why not? I have, I have questions about how that's going to work. But the things that aren't music, you don't have to pay for. That's, that's true, because you have like five gigabytes free. At some point, they're going to have to upgrade this stuff and come out with like a menu of storage options so you can pay extra for, you know, big collections. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that's the most interesting, though, is this match service that they're going to be doing against your music library. And then automatically connecting those songs into your account in an upgraded, you know, 256K AAC. Format. So, 
no matter what state the song is, if it gets recognized and associated with your account, you get an automatic upgrade. It's interesting in that I'm assuming the way it works is that new music I buy, if I'm paying my $25 a month or $25 a year, <laughs> if I'm paying my $25 a year, any music I shovel into my iTunes account will automatically get the upgrade and be associated with, you know, I'll have like as long as I maintain my annual fee, I'll have this huge library in the sky in a pretty decent form, uh, pretty decent, uh, at a pretty decent bit rate that's, you know, I can sync to all of my devices. That's an amazing deal. Yeah, it is. And, the, and it's, it, it, if it works, I mean, it's a, it's a really good way to have another set of, another piece of redundancy. Yeah. That's no, awesome. But there's one thing that I do, I worry about is that I don't really trust their metadata. The album covers aren't always the right album cover. The reissue the year isn't always the right year so there's there's issues with what they'll send back down to me as here are your new files and and they're completely wrong but the metadata i've got isn't perfect either i just went through and changed the metadata on 20,000 songs over the last six months so it is mine is perfect mine's not your metadata is perfect my metadata for the for the my master playlist my the playlist how many songs uh 19,000 you're saying there's not one tag on 19,000 songs. No, I assume there's... We're going to have a metadata throwdown, Jim. Let's, let's do this. I will stipulate... Jim Conley, are you ready for a metadata throwdown? <laughs> I will stipulate 99%. How's that? Wow. That's still pretty good. But, but, for example, the album covers, if you go to, like, Blood on the Tracks, sometimes the songs are, like, this weird three-album thing that aren't even, isn't even Blood on the Tracks... Or a reissue. Um, oh, you don't have the three-album here, version? Here's a perfect example. The reissue of Quadrophenia that comes out later this year, the date on that reissue will be 2011 for a song that came out in 1973. And, and that's, I know that's super music geek stuff, but, you know, it's stuff that's important. Because, because the label and all of the people that are selling the music are looking at it as... That's the year we released this product. Well, they should have the, all all that music, particular package got released on that year. Yeah, all music should have two two dates, release original release date and reissue date. Right on that format. Well, yeah, I guess because that's also if you're a geek, that's also something to know. Is I see people when I read Amazon reviews and stuff, people say, well. This isn't nearly as good as the 1997 version. So where do you guys go for that kind of information? Is there a source online that you view as a reliable source that you, where you can get that for pretty much anything you would want it for? I'll give you three of them. One, Amazon, though a lot of times not so good. Two, AllMusic. Three, Wikipedia. Yeah, I use Wikipedia a lot. And for album covers, if one of those three sources don't work, then I just actually Google the album title and, and put it on image search. And no matter how obscure it is, someone has put it on a blog somewhere. Do we have anything else to talk about on the Apple announcement? There's some question of what's going to happen to the iPod Touch since they didn't really mention it by name in the announcement. It was almost like it didn't exist. Mm. There's also some question about the iPod Classic, Jim. I love my iPod Classic. Is that going away? Some people think it should die. Some people hate people with large music collections. Well, I'm I'm still holding out to get a 160 gigabyte version at some point. I guess the vision is that someday you'll have this tiny 
sliver of a device that has access to everything in your cloud account that has wireless, reliable broadband wireless, whatever that is. To my right. car? Yeah. In real time? Yeah. Yeah. And, well, okay. and that includes the Miss Allen's bootleg, the Miss Allen song well, that announces this, the show. This, this, this is the discussion we didn't have about the twenty-five dollars service. Mm -hmm. Is the stuff you have to upload from your personal collection to associate with your account? If they can't match it, it do they do they allow you to update to upload it? I'm guessing they do, but how do they handle it, and what control do you have over it? Because there's stuff that. Um, well, there's, there, are, there are other copyright uh, concerns. Instead of them worrying about you doing something with copyrighted material, you have to worry about them doing something with your copyrighted material. You have to have some personal space that's just your, these are the songs you've uploaded that didn't match. Maybe that can go in the five gig. They bought La La like a year and a half ago. And this is the thing that La La was doing. And I just started looking at La La and up experimenting with it like a month before they bought it. And um, Lala did the match. Lala put the songs that it matched in your account, and then you would upload everything that it didn't match. And um, it matched like 8,000 songs out of 24,000 I had at the time. Mm. Wow. So it would have been 16,000 that I had to upload that it couldn't match. <laughs> hopefully, this will be, hopefully this will be better than that. But that's the experience I had November of 2009, uh, right before Apple bought Lala. So hopefully it got better. We'll know more in a year's time. And we'll all have Unless, iPad 3s and iPhone 5s. Or the Rapture. Or, or the well, Rapture. oh yeah, shoot, sorry, October 21st. We might have a Rapture. I don't want to buy a new iPhone and then have the Rapture happen. <laughs> I know. It's just that's, that's <laughs> horrible, horrible timing. Who thought we would one day be saying next season on The Rapture? <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for the new season of The Rapture. <laughs> it's coming in October. Shoes and socks, baby, socks and shoes. We spent the night last night at Newport News. This is Jim Connolly with a musical moment to die for. We got bruised. The Hold Steady came around at a time when I wasn't sure I could love a new band like I loved The Replacements or The Clash or R.E.M. But on their greatest song, The Swish from 2004's Almost Killed Me, The Hold Steady do a thing that made me love them forever. It happens just after vocalist and lyricist Craig Finn issues his thesis statement about the 1980s. Some people call me Andre Simon, cause I survived the 80s one time already. That right there was guitarist Ted Cooper's thesis statement, and it's simple. Check out this fucking awesome guitar riff. Because as much as I love Finn's words, ethos, and crazy-ass devotion to what he does, hold steady albums and a lot of rock and roll live and die on fucking awesome guitar riffs. I'm trying to get paid for my savior. So 
question to the city center. I did a couple favors for these guys who look like Tuscan Raiders. That was the Hold Steady with the Swish, a song that contains a musical moment to die for. Okay, hang on, guys. I need to read the disclaimer. This podcast is a presentation of Medialoper Bebop. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of the commissioner of Medialoper Bebop is prohibited. There. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but there's a thing called the Durocast out of Moldova, and they're taking our podcasts and recreating them, recreating them in Moldovan. No. Yeah. So. No, um, what, what do you mean by recreating? Um, hang on a second. I can actually. Yeah, we've got to put a stop to that. Well, this is the thing. Is it a copyright violation or is it a tribute? Yes. Like, like they're you know they are heavily influenced by us. Um, no, 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 no. Hey, hang on a second. Let me just okay. bring the microphone over here. I'll play this real fast. Ibrahim Saev from Kazakhstan was one of the tankists in the time of the invasion of Praga. We heard planes in the air, but the sky was filled with dust because the tanks were on fire. Ivan Adolejalov had 19 years old. So you can kind of see they they took our Dylan, they completely took our Dylan th- uh, podcast and redid it in Moldovan. Which one? Have, they, which they one of us a, is the woman? I'm going to say they put a spin on it. They they have a chick. Mm. We need a chick. Yeah. So anyways, the commissioner told me I need to start reading this every single episode, so just kind of get used to it. Have we done a cease? I think we could get some Moldovan sponsorship. I have some connections. You know, and a cease and desist in uh, Moldovan usually results in the loss of a limb, so they have a weird legal system. They do. And now time for a brand new weekly feature, In the Mix, where one of us talks about some of the current music he's listening to. We're going to kick this off with Kirk. Kirk, what you got for us? So my mix, I should say, um, we have to have some stats. If we're going to be a taco about this, we need to be fully otaku. My mix, first of all, I should explain, is an iTunes smart playlist that pulls all music that's been added into iTunes uh, within the last 60 days. And right now, that's 249 songs. Um, and so three artists, albums, songs, they're in this mix. I have to say, first of all, I have to call out Charles Bradley. debut album, No Time for Dreaming. This is the guy I was telling you about last week or whenever it was we did our last podcast. He's a kind of gritty old R&B style soul singer. He uh, lived his life as a cook and could never actually get the music part together. And so he's like, he's in his 60s now and he's releasing his debut album and it's phenomenal. Uh, and this is on Daptone and it's uh, the people that brought you Probably know Sharon Jones and Lee Field and that group. Sharon Jones has actually blown up. Blown up? Not blown up. <laughs> Sharon Jones blew up? What? Is this Al-Qaeda? I did not hear this. I meant this. I meant it metaphorically, guys. She's gotten big. I mean, is in popular. Yeah. Well, she's great. Yes. She's been around for a while. It's, she, she 
totally deserves it. They, they have this way of finding these people who, in a better world, would have been big soul stars 20 years ago, maybe. But at least they get a chance now. This Charles Bradley album is really, really good. Um, the World is Going Up in Flames is a song you probably would be hearing a lot of. I think I heard it in a TV show, but I can't remember what show it was. Um, Blue Note has come to eMusic. Oh, wow. And, and for you, Jim, always arguing about how eMusic prices are going up, I've done a price comparison uh, with any one of these Blue Note albums. They go down to like 390 or something, but they're up, and generally they're about $649. They're about $1.50 cheaper than Amazon and, and $350 cheaper than iTunes. Um, so I'm going to be buying my Blue Note from eMusic and putting it into my cloud account and letting Steve Jobs upgrade it to 256 k for $25 a year. It's going to be great. Awesome. So I've got a bunch of these old Blue Note albums, and I've kind of rediscovered uh, Dexter Gordon, One Flight Up. had the album for years um, and can't believe I never had the CD and so I've got this album. Tanya is like a classic. It's like one of those rare 18 minute songs you don't mind being in the current mix. Awesome. And um, third and final, I'm going to say The Sky Drops. Uh, explain it to me. The song from their new album, Making Mountains. Explain it to me. anything about this band. Have either of you guys heard about this? No. no. The Sky Drops. This is their second or third record. It, it was good enough that I grabbed all of their catalog and it's all in the current mix. Today, two albums and an EP. Uh, kind of crunchy, guitar-driven, man and woman singing and sort of reminiscent of John Doe and Z in terms of the way they do their harmonies. But the music is quite a bit different from Axis. More crunchy, velvety type. Awesome. Uh, so those are my three. Beautiful. Oh, sir. Just one more thing. One more thing. Tim. Another new, another new cool app for the iPad. Uh, Splash Top. So basically what this does, it gives you access to all the computers in your house via your, your, your iPad. And I think uh, this may be one of the components of the new, of the new um, operating system coming out later, something like this. Basically, <clears throat> I don't know if we touched on this, but what, what is happening with the new Apple stuff is they are, what they've done for this, for this new release coming up is they've taken a lot of the best ideas and incorporated it into their, 
into their operating system, like the Dropbox thing is now the drop airdrop. A lot of other people's best ideas. And other other developers' best ideas and incorporating into their stuff. Right now, I, I can see what's on the computer downstairs, and I can control, um, you know, I say if I wanted to see, I'm upstairs. Right. I wanted to look on my hard drive downstairs. I would just turn that on, and then I would uh, be able to look, you know, scroll through my 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 hard drive down there just to see if I was, you know, do I have that album? Do I have that song or whatever? So, one more thing, Kirk. So um, I hesitate to mention this because I think it actually probably will end up being a topic for discussion in some future episodes soon. But when I look at my notes under one more thing, the only word I see is Bitcoin. Oh, I've seen people tweet about that recently, but I'm not sure what it is. Bitcoin is a virtual currency that is a peer-to-peer currency that runs on a peer-to-peer network and the nodes collectively manage, maintain, and, and mine slash generate the currency in a controlled manner and allow you to make completely virtual, mostly, mostly, if you do it right, anonymous transactions that um, work in the way you would expect any form of currency to do. You transfer ownership of the Bitcoin or a fraction of Bitcoin, um, and you can actually use them to pay for things. Uh-huh. And that there are exchanges that uh, where the value of the Bitcoin fluctuates as people trade the virtual currency. This is all very... Um, Neil Stevenson, you remember, have you read Cryptonomicon? Yeah. No. There was there was a startup that was doing wasn't the startup doing a virtual currency or something similar to that? This anyway, this is in real life. Right. right? This is going on now. And uh, it's been in the news. Gawker did a story on the site called Silk Road, which sells pretty much anything as long as it's not something that can be used to I think their limit is like uh they won't sell weapons or anything dangerous like that. But they do it has apparently become the place to buy psychedelic the Amazon for psychedelics. Uh. <laughs> uh and you pay with bitcoins. And of course this has Chuck Schumer worked up. Well of course. Because, because obviously the Bitcoin economy exists entirely for criminal activity. I was gonna say this sounds very underground economy oriented. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh plus, you know, when when hackers try to get into the business of creating currencies, well that's a job for governments, right? Right. It's a whole power thing. Uh meanwhile, there was a market crash on Friday where the value of the, the Bitcoin dropped 30%. <laughs> um, it came back late in the day, uh, but it was still down like 15% for the day. I think that what's happening is there are so few um, exchanges around. There are so few ways to buy Bitcoins that uh, they have a liquidity problem. Uh, mm. PayPal shut down the ability to... Um, to, to actually put to buy Bitcoin. So you can't buy with PayPal, you can't buy with um, Visa or debit card. Um, it's turning out, and this won't surprise you, one of the best way to buy Bitcoins is you can actually exchange them for other virtual currencies. <laughs> so you could buy a virtual currency that hasn't been shut down or, or takes credit cards to buy the currency and then exchange that virtual currency for another virtual currency that actually is trading like a real currency. And you'll never guess what the preferred 
virtual currency to buy is to buy bitcoins. Guesses anyone? Um, <laughs> Facebook? eBay? Linden. Linden. Lind oh, God. <laughs> second life. Second life? <laughs> to go into second life to buy Linden so that you can exchange them for Bitcoin. So what I'm saying is <laughs> the average person probably isn't going to be using Bitcoin, but it's an interesting thing that's unfolding. Right so now. this is this may be more like chat roulette where it gets all the people all up in an uproar and then uh, six months later, no one even even really bothering with it. Who knows? Oh, that reminds me for uh, what I'm doing later tonight. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> sure. No problem. It, it raises some interesting questions, though. I mean, when you think of how where we're going with all the stuff you talk about, media, society. Um, if, if we could run a currency that was, it's, it's certainly utopian, the, the, the vision of running a currency that's distributed by the cloud and controlled by the crowd and is beyond any kind of centralized authority. Um, it's an appealing idea, but who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? We're moving so anyway, some keep your, keep your eye on Bitcoin. Yeah. No, this is, uh, talking about this, I had some people over today and we talked about something similar. So th this, is, this is something that is uh, being thrown about. And obviously the gold standard being a legitimate source of uh, currency backing is no longer valid because there's more, way more money printed than there is gold that could, that could back it up. So Hold your tongue, communist. Yeah. One more no. thing. We're recording this on Sunday afternoon, so by the time it posts, the Dallas Mavericks will either be the NBA champions or we'll have a Game 7 on Tuesday. Either way, this has already been a hell of an NBA Finals with more than one unbelievable finish. I'm guessing tonight's game will have, will have been more of the same. And in fact, guys, I'm going to go watch it. So I'd like to thank Kirk Biglione. You're welcome, Jim. And I'd like to thank Tim Gaskell. I'll thank me too. Okay. Thank you. And I'd like to thank the listener, whoever you are, for listening to Media Loper Bebop Episode 7, Lions and iClouds and Beers. I'm Jim Connolly, and on behalf of Tim and Kirk, we'll catch you again next week. Same Bebop time, same Bebop channel. Ooh, beer. Yeah. Did we talk about beer? We left out the beer. We need to have, here. here's one, one thing we need to have, is we need to have a beer. Have we had a beer conversation? I haven't had a beer. I, I did a one more thing. I did a beer for one more I thing. I was going to do a beer one more thing, um, and then I decided to do the NBA playoffs because they're so good. Yeah.